When I was growing up, one of my favorite shows was Lost in Space. And if you remember, some kids are going, what? Oh, yeah, that was a new movie. No, 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 no. The new movie was bad. You've got to go watch the old show. Because um, the new movie, you know, it was all new stuff. Whereas the old movie or the old TV show was the old TV show. But anyway, those of you who are of that genre, uh, who remember Lost in Space, if you remember, there was a robot. And whenever there was danger, the robot would start, his arms would go crazy, his head would light up, and he would go, danger, Will Robinson, danger, Will Robinson. You remember that? Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I remember that. Teenagers will look at me like, really? That sounds a little hokey. It was. It was. Because when you go back and look at it, you go, oh, this is so cheesy. But it was. But the thing was, whenever that happened in the show, you knew what was going to happen. There was going to be some goofy monster, and you look back now and you go, boy, that's, that's really bad makeup stuff. Um, but there was some goofy monster or some goofy thing that was going to happen that was a danger to them. But the way you always knew it was going to happen in the show was the robot went nuts. You know, and, and you remember, his arms started flapping, his head lit up, and, and the lights started flashing. And it was like, oh, oh, watch out, be careful, you know, there's something bad happening. <laughs> What the passage that we're looking at this morning in Colossians, and we're in the book Colossians, we're just walking through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse. The passage that we're at is Paul's way of going, warning, warning, warning. Okay, be careful. This is Paul being the robot, all right, in a Lost in Space series, all right? Uh, this is Paul going, okay, guys, be careful, be careful, be careful. And so he's now going to start in this chapter saying, look, here's some things to be careful of. Here's some things that as a Christian, again, he's writing to Christians, there's a problem, there's a small problem in the church in that some Gentile believers are saying, hey, you've got to add this stuff to salvation. And the Jewish believers are going, hey, you need to add this stuff to salvation. Because they both kind of had this idea, this mindset, that putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone wasn't enough. There had to be more. And so they started bringing in the stuff. And when Paul writes this book to the church at Colossae, to the Christians at Colossae, he says, look, you need to understand this. Your faith and trust in Christ alone is enough. You've got to understand what happened when you put your faith and trust in Christ. And when you really do, when you really focus on Christ, you don't need the rest of that stuff. And that's kind of where the book is going. But this chapter we're looking at this morning in chapter 2 is where he starts that whole section on, okay, this is what you need to be careful of. This is what you need to be aware of. This is what you need to pay attention to. So with that in mind, let's jump into it. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And here's what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So Right at the bat, he, he warns him, and he says, now look, see to it that no one takes you captive. Literally, the word is kidnapped. He said, be careful people don't kidnap your thinking, so to speak. And he describes the philosophy, he says, through hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's empty stuff. It's stuff that, that kind of looks good, but then when you peel it back, it's not good. Um. When you, 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 when you really think about it, when you really play it all out, he said it, 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 it's deceptive. And then he goes on and he says, it depends on human tradition 
and elemental spiritual forces. Some people say um, this idea is childish stuff. It's kind of childish in its approach to stuff. It's, it's, it's fairly um, simple. And he said, and it's sourced in um, human tradition. He said, it's really just when you peel it back, when you get to all the layers, it's not anything new. It's stuff that's been said for, for centuries, you know. Um, uh, you know, it, it's crazy because we're in a world that, that does that. That it, We go back to, you know, everybody's like, oh, oh. And, and those of you who've been around long enough, those of you who are older, you get this, okay? This is why I never throw out ties. Because I know that what was in fashion 30 or 40 years ago is going to come around. So if I take my big wide ties and I hang on to them long enough, then my kids are going to go, oh, Dad, you got any, wide, any really wide ties? Oh, do I have wide ties. And then when they did the skinny ties, and anybody remember the sock ties? Remember we had the sock ties for a while? Uh, those will come back around. All this stuff comes back around. You know that. Why? Because like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. And it's the same thing with the philosophies. He said, look, there's, there's, there's these things that are just going to keep coming back, and, and they look like they're new, but they're really not new. They've been around for a long time. He said, don't get sucked into those kinds of things. And he goes on. He says, rather than on Christ. Now, he gives you a great big focus here. He says, look, you've got to remember, you've got to keep Christ at the center of it. And he's going to keep that idea going in a minute here. But notice what he said. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, he's attacking this idea that the Greeks had, where the Greeks said Jesus really wasn't in a human form. In fact, later, here's what the Gnostics are actually going to teach. They're going to teach that Jesus was not, now, and again, this is just kind of getting going in history at this point. It's not a full-blown philosophy yet. But eventually, within 100 years, here's what the Gnostics are going to teach. They're going to teach that when Jesus walked on this earth, he didn't leave footprints because he wasn't a real body. He just looked like a real body. He was like a ghost because their world, matter, is evil, and there's no way God could be in a bodily form. That's what they were eventually going to start teaching and believing. You know, So those of you that have that little footprints of Jesus thing on your wall, be happy you're not a Gnostic. You'd have to throw that out. Um, you know, Because why? Because here's what, that, that's how crazy it got. And even now, Paul's addressing this long before it becomes a big philosophy, and he says, the fullness of the deity, talking about God, lives in bodily form. He said he was real. You could touch him. You could, you could feel him. You could, you, he ate like we did. He drank like we did. He, he slept like we did. He, it was a bodily form. And then he goes on. it. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. He lays it all down. And he says, look, you've got to understand this about Jesus, that, that he was real, that, that he walked like you walked, that he understand like you walked, and this is what he's going to talk about this in a second. And in Christ, you have been brought to the fullness. Here's what you and I need to understand. Okay? And you got to hang on to me for a minute. Don't take this too far, but understand what Paul is teaching from a, from a mental perspective. Here's what he's saying. You and I, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we're placed in Christ. So here's what that means. That means that we have the same things and the same abilities 
that Christ had. Again, you can't take it too far. I'm not saying you're God. But I'm saying the idea that we are in Christ means that God offers to us many of the same things he offers to Christ. So when you go through and you look at all of the things that happen when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you became adopted, redeemed, bought with the price. Um, you were given power. You were given, in fact, he's going to argue here in a minute that the same power that brought Jesus out of the tomb is the same power you and I have available to us today. Because Paul says, look, you're getting all hung up on that stuff. You are in Christ. You've got to realize that. And he has tremendous amount of power because he's God. And when he places you in him, let me tell you something, folks. That is incredible for us to be able to experience. So notice what he goes on to say. Next verse, verse 10. Or I'm sorry, verse 11. <clears throat> in him, by the way, you see this idea of in Christ, in him a lot in the book of Colossians because that's a big theme. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. All right. It's a lot of stuff, so let's walk through it piece by piece. Paul brings up two issues here, two concepts. The first concept is the concept of circumcision. The second concept is the concept of baptism. Okay? Remember, the Jews, the Jews were coming into the Christian church. They were becoming Christians. And they were saying, we don't think salvation is enough. We think you need to be circumcised too. That's one of the issues Paul's addressing. So one of the things that Paul says is, no, 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 let me explain to you. You already have been. It's a spiritual circumcision. And it's a circumcision that was, that was done by Christ when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Bottom line, here's what he's saying. He's saying, in circumcision, you cut away the old and you throw it away. And that's what he's saying. God took your old life. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ, he cut it away and tossed it aside. He said, that's what Jesus... So they're going, oh, no, no, you need to be physically circumcised. Paul said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's already happened spiritually. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, Christ took your old life, and he said, no, I'm going to make, as New Testament, other passages say, all things new. And the way that he illustrates that is with baptism. Now, here's the deal with baptism, okay? Because... <laughs> We don't get it. We don't get baptism because here's why. Um, most of you today, today or within the last 24 hours, took a shower or a bath or whatever else to get yourself clean. So for us, that's just a daily thing. In this culture, in this time, water was scarce. So you use water for drinking and you use water for cooking and you used a little bit of water for washing your hands or washing your feet. But to go in and get cleansed, washed every day, rarely, rarely. You either had to go to a pond in which there were not many, or a lake in which there were not many, or a river in which there were not many. There were very few places that you could actually go in and say, I got completely clean. So in most religions, not just Christianity, but in most religion, baptism was what we call an initiatory rite. It was a way that you were declaring, I am breaking from the old, and I am starting with the new. 
And you do that, and again, you know, I want to get into sprinkling, bat, sprinkling, pouring, immersion thing. Just common sense says the best way to get totally clean is a bath. I'm sorry you shower people. Don't get offended, okay? But, I mean, to get totally clean, you know, and people are like, oh, I'm not a bath person. I'm a shower. Okay, great. You're a shower person. But the idea is here's the concept. In that culture... So, by the way, in most religions, including the Jewish religion, a synagogue had what was called a mikvah. It was a place in which people would go and they would dip and get ceremonially clean. That's why at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the people put their faith and trust in Christ, many of them got baptized because right outside of Jerusalem, right outside of the Temple Mount is a great big mikvah. It was, it was their culture. You know, we lose a little bit of that today in our culture because, like I say, you know, we got showers and baths and stuff like that, and, and, and the water's not as scarce to us as it was in those cultures. So that's why when, when these people put their faith and trust in Christ, baptism was a natural step for them because it was a way to tell everyone in the community, I don't want to be associated with what I was. I want to be associated with Christ now. And so baptism played a very, very big role. It still does today. It's a picture. It's a symbol. It's not a way to salvation. It's not how we get saved. It's a way that we tell the world that we are saved, that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so often in the Bible, in the New Testament, when it talks about baptism, sometimes it's talking about physical baptism. Sometimes it's talking about spiritual baptism. Common sense would tell you in this passage, if we have just talked about physical circumcision being spiritual circumcision, then guess what? Physical baptism, he's going to equate as well with a spiritual baptism. And that's what he says here. That's what he's doing here. And he's saying this. um, Having been buried with him in baptism, so in other words, it's the idea of in a baptism deal, what do we do? We go under the water and we come out of the water. It's the idea of new different. It's the idea of representing what God has done physically and spiritually and emotionally in my life when I put my faith and trust in Christ. Buried with him, um, and, um, buried with him in the, whatever, my mind just went blank. Why did my mind just went blank? And raised with him um, in newness of life. It's the idea of, it's that symbol, it's that picture of what he has done. We believe in baptism here. Don't get me wrong, okay? We believe in baptism by immersion. That's why we got this, okay? That's why we do that, right? Because it's a symbol of what we have done physically and spiritually in putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So, you know, for some of you, I know, you know, it's like, you know, I haven't done the baptism thing. You need to, seriously, go read your Bible, see what it says. Take my word for it. Go see what your Bible says, okay? But one of the last things Jesus told his disciples was go make disciples, have people put their faith and trust in Christ, baptize them, and teach them. So it's pretty important for Jesus when he left this earth to say, look, this is kind of an important part of this thing. So, you know, something that you need to think about, you need to consider it. In this passage, he's talking about it in a spiritual sense, and he's saying this. You were buried with Christ, and you were raised with Christ. Notice what he said. You were in whom were also raised with him through your faith 
in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The idea is when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, here's what Paul's going to argue. You were buried with him in the tomb, if you will. Your sin taken care of at the cross. And not only that, you were raised with him when he walked out of that tomb to a new resurrected life. And Paul's here is going to argue. He's going to say, look, do you understand what God did when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? First of all, he cut out all the old stuff out of your life, threw it away. He took all of your sin, he buried it with him, and he raised you to a new way to live. Why? Because you are in Christ. And now he's going to take one step further. He's going to take another spin at it. Notice what he goes on and say. <clears throat> when you were dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. When you put your faith and trust in Christ, God made you alive. And notice how he said He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He took your sin, my sin, nailed it to the cross, and said, done, finished, paid for it, debt canceled, free, forgiven. And, notice what also happened, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's what a lot of Bible scholars believe. They believe that when Jesus died on the cross, Satan and his hosts had a great big celebration because they had won. Jesus, who had been a thorn in their side, now hung on a cross. Jesus, who they wanted to kill, who they tried to get rid of, who was a problem in their side, Satan won. Genesis says he would wound his heel, bruise his head. They won. Satan won at the cross. So he thought. And they took that body down, and Satan was excited because Jesus is dead. And then three days later, there's an empty tomb, and Jesus is alive. And Satan realizes, and his hosts realize, we lost. We didn't win. We lost. Because the only power we had was power over death, and now he's shown us that he doesn't, we don't even have power over death. He can conquer death. We, we lost, and notice what it says. It says, he made a public spectacle of them. And that resurrection lit a fire that went throughout all of history and exists to this day because Jesus came out of the tomb. And Paul says, look, you need to understand, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. You are on the winning side. Your sins have been forgiven. They have been taken care of. They have been nailed to the cross. Your debt has been canceled. There's no reason to keep living like a failure. There's no reason to keep beating yourself up over sin. There's no reason to keep beating yourself up over guilt and defeat because Jesus took care of all of that. And Paul's going to argue that. And you're going to see us in the next couple of weeks. Paul's going to argue that, look, you need to live like that. Stop living like Satan won. And yeah, we do it all the time. And that's what Paul's going to argue in this thing. So a couple of takeaways for us today. Here's the first one. First thing, be careful. 
Paul starts out by saying, look, don't let people kidnap you. Literally, it's the Greek word, kidnap you. Pull you aside. Take you aside through philosophy. and Be careful what you read. Be careful what you think. Be careful how you, how you process stuff. Because, again, Paul's focus is, we're talking about this second, Paul's focus is Christ. Christ at the center of it all. And it's easy for us to get sucked into the philosophies of the world. You know, we talked about that in Sunday school this morning, about the idea that the world baits you to the edge and then condemns you when you go over. You know, uh, you know we're in Sunday school we were talking about morality and we were talking about the idea that, you know, in, 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 you, you watch TV, you, you, you look at the media, you look at everything. The world is saying, you know, you know be this kind of person, be this kind of person. You know, be loose with your morals. Don't worry about this. You know, go ahead and do this and do this. You know, you know, everybody drinks. Everybody does this. Everybody, you know, everybody parties. Everybody does it. Do this, do this, do this. And then the second you go over the edge, it's like, oh, you know about them? They're an alcoholic. Oh, you know about them? You know, she's one of those kind of girls. What do you mean she's one of those kind of girls? The whole culture says to be one of those kind of people. But now that they go over the line, now all of a sudden the whole culture then condemns them. This is so hypocritical. Why? Because the philosophy of the world will, will lead you astray. And, and just let me say this. Just because it has Christian on the, na- on the front of it doesn't mean it's Christian. Just because you buy it in a Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's good. Just because it came from a Christian label doesn't mean it's Christian. That's why Paul said, or Timothy said, put it to the test. Try the spirits. Test them. See, it, it falls in a category of God or not. Put it to the test. And we have so many gullible Christians today. It's like, you know, oh, I don't know, you know, well, you know, I got it in a Christian bookstore. Well, they say it's Christian music. You know? Well, they say it's Christian this or Christian that. You know? stuff. It's crazy. It's crazy. Just because we put Christian in front of it doesn't mean it's Christian. And we need to be discerning people. We need to sit back and study it and put it to the test and say, you know what, is this right or not? Some of the things that you hold dearly to, you need to sit back and say, what does the Bible say? You know, we're in a culture that says if you want to get to the top, you got to cheat. That's what the philosophy of this world says. you got to cut corners. you got a business? Everybody will tell you, if you're going to succeed, you got to cut corners. That's not what the Bible says. We've got to get back to what does the Bible say? What does God say? What's the wisest way to live? What's the way to honor God in our decisions, in our choices, in our actions, in our attitudes? And that's what he says. That's what, that, be careful here. Second thing, keep the focus on Christ. Keep the focus on Christ. Is it going to honor Christ? Yes or no? Whatever it is you're wrestling with right now, simple question. Is it going to honor Christ? That thing that you want to do, that place you want to go, that, 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 that thing that you want to buy, is it going to honor Christ? Is it? That way that you want to respond to your spouse because they did this, is your response going to honor Christ? Is it? See, see we need to bring Christ back into it. Years ago, we got into this problem. Here's what we did. We said, God first then our spouse, then our family, then our job. And we all got sucked into it. I did too. 
<clears throat> and so then we would justify stuff. I did this. I used to tell my wife, look, you know, no, I can't spend time with you because I'm serving God. Because God's first. And I came to realize that's all wrong. God doesn't say first, second, third, fourth, fifth. God says here it's really simple. Keep me at the center of all of it. So in your job, keep me at the center of it. In your marriage, keep me at the center of it. With your kids, keep me at the center of it. Keep me in the center of everything that you do. Because what happened is we developed a whole generation of people. We pigeonhole our Christianity. It's like, okay, you know what? This is Sunday. I've done my church thing. Now, I've got the rest of the week to live however I want. No, you don't. Not if Christ is at the center of it. And this week, we need to make sure that we keep Christ at the center of all that we do. We need to make sure that we keep Christ at the center of our decisions. And that thing that you're struggling with right now, one of the questions to ask is, how do I keep Christ at the center of it? What would bring honor and glory to God here? And that's what I need to do. That's how I need to make this decision. And the last thing is this, and this is what Paul, I think, gets to when he says this. He gets to verse 13, and it's interesting because at this passage, Paul can... Paul can, like, continue to lamb blast the philosophies and all that kind of thing. But here's what he does. He stops. And he says, you just need to stop and be grateful for what God has done for you in Christ. You need to stop and realize what he's done. And I've learned, and I'm learning over and over again, that we have got to get to the point that we are more grateful for what we have. I realize whatever it is that's, that's bothering you right now could be better. I get that. But I also realize it could be worse. You know, I was reminded this week, um, again, being in the hospital, you, you kind of lose perspective of everything. You really do. You know, you're, you, those of you who've been there, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you sit in a little room and watch people breathe and watch monitors and watch watch all that stuff and, you can only handle so much of it, and so finally at the end of the day, you, you, you walk out of there, and usually by the time I walk out of there, it's kind of like a zombie. There's just kind of this blank look on my face, and my mind's mush, and, you know, you don't want to think about anything. You just want to get home and sit down in your chair, and so, you know, that's kind of what it is. At the end of the day, I'm doing that, and we, and um, Rob, right, Rob? Yeah, Rod, Rod. Bible study Wednesday night, Rod was there, and, um, and, uh, Rob was there, and I got on the elevator. I think it was Thursday, Thursday or Friday. I don't know one of the days. But anyway, um, I, I got on the elevator, and he was standing there, and he had been a Bible study Wednesday night, and I thought he looked familiar, but again, my mind's mush. I can't remember anything. And and I'm standing there, and I'm texting, trying to get caught up on emails and stuff like that. And 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 uh, and, <laughs> and he looks at me, and goes, "Hey, I was at Bible study the other night." I went, "Oh yeah, uh, you are who? Uh, you know?" And uh, so, you know, we talked a little bit, and that kind of, you kind of had that. And so I kind of thought, you know, I kind of probably need to pay more attention to who's in the hospital and stuff like that. So the next day, anyway, I'm, I'm, I get in, the, get in the elevator, and I could tell there's a guy that got in the elevator with me, and we were coming down off the 7th floor, and that's the oncology ward. So, you know, all the people up there are, you know, it's kind of depressing. But anyway, great, great nurses, by the way. But, I mean, the, it's just kind of depressing. So I'm, you know, you're, I'm kind of beating myself up saying, you know, Lord, this just needs to end. You know, this just really, you've got to take them home. And so, I, you know, I get on an elevator, and a guy next to me, I could tell he had been through the ringer that day, too. And so, you know, I looked at him, and I said, um, 
Well, I said, how's your deal going? You know, and he goes, well, not good. I said, well, I said, I think we're on the down end of our deal. I said, I think we're going to lose the battle. He said, yeah. He said, we're kind of in the same boat. Now, we've been up there with Doug for four weeks, going on four weeks, or over four weeks now. And so, you know, that kind of adds to it because you feel worse, you know. And you think, feel like, you know, four weeks, you know. I got four weeks. So, so, so I looked at the guy and I said, so how long have you been doing this? And he said, we've been here since 1st of August, which is eight weeks. And all of a sudden, I'm riding down the elevator with a guy who's done it twice as long as we've done it. And I'm walking out going, Lord, thanks that it's only been four weeks. It's all about perspective. It's all about who you choose to look at and how you choose to frame your circumstances and situation. And for some of you right now, the problem is you've taken your life, your circumstances, the things that you're up against, and you're framing it against people who have it better. When you do that, you're always going to go to a dark place. But when you frame it up against people who have it worse, you walk out encouraged. That's why Paul says, those that compare themselves with themselves are not smart. And I just want to challenge you to step back and take a perspective of what you really have. And to be grateful that, you know what? The worst day you have on this planet. If you're a believer sitting here this morning, the worst day that you ever experience on this planet will be the worst day you ever experience for all of eternity. But if you're sitting here this morning without Christ, the best day that you have on this planet will be the best it will ever get for you for all of eternity. Because it only goes downhill after that. And we have been given so much in Christ. We have been forgiven. We have we have been we get to enter into the Holy of Holies any moment, any time with prayer before the very throne of an almighty holy God. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been given power. We've been given a new way to live. We've been given a new purpose for life. When I'm up there and I see people that are in hopeless situation after hopeless situation after hopeless situation, I can walk into a room and see hope. Because I know. When my friend steps from this world, he steps into eternity with Christ. So I don't walk into that room hopeless Do we sorrow? Yes. Have we cried? Yes. Do we grieve? Yes. But we don't lose hope. We don't lose hope. Is what you're going through tough? Yes. Could it be better? Yes. Could it be worse? Oh, yeah. So be grateful. Be grateful. And the fact that you sit here this morning as a child of God, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and He's your personal Savior, you sit here this morning as a child of God. Tell me how anything is bad compared to that. We have been given so much 
And that's what Paul says. He says, look, don't let people pull you aside with all of this gobbledygook. Remember who you are in Christ. And that's a challenge for all of us. Because I know what happens when you walk out of here and you get focused on life. And it's easy to lose your perspective. When you do, take a step back and think about who you are in Christ. It'll make a difference in the way you handle your circumstances and situations this week. And that's what Paul does here. He reminds people, you have been made alive in Christ. Don't let people pull you aside with all of the other stuff. Because the world has a strong pull. So I close this week with this. This is my prayer for each of us. and My prayer for me this week. As believers, we've got to be careful regarding the ideas and teachings of our day. The focus must be Christ and Him exalted. We've been forgiven. Our old life has been cast aside. In our new life, we have been raised in power and victory. We need to live that way this week because we have been given much. Let's pray. Lord, help us. God, we all get caught up in this thing we call life. Lord, we all get caught up in all the things that aren't going right. All the things, Lord, that uh, we struggle with. All the things, Lord, that are going wrong. Lord, when it all boils down to it, Lord, the fact that we put our faith and trust in you and that our lives are sourced in you means that we don't have to look at it the way everybody else does. So don't let us. And Lord, as we, get, uh, as we go through this week and things get tough and we tend to lose our perspective, Lord, will you bring things into our lives and will you, with the Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts to remind us just how much we really do have. And Lord, for those here this morning that may never have put their faith and trust in you, Lord, they're trusting in something else. Would you help them to understand this morning that, Lord, it is faith and trust in you and you alone. Use us. Work in our lives this week. And Lord, may we be able to walk back in here next week and say this week, we've honored you 